This is 112BK coming to you from Brick House in downtown Brooklyn. On the show, an election primer. What are those ballot questions and why should I care? And we run Brownsville on the heels of the marathon. Hi, I'm Jarrett Murphy from City Limits, filling in for Ashley Ford today. Who's away? Hey, Jarrett. Welcome to 112BK. Thanks. I'm happy to be here and excited to talk about the elections. Are you ready? Do you know your polling place? Do you have your voting plan? If not, maybe we can help. This entire show is a guide to local politics, some key races and important issues to keep in mind. We'll be joined by some of the city's best reporters, and we've got a few fun extras thrown in. A look at Sunday's marathon from the perspective of We Run Brownsville and an anniversary of one of Brooklyn's most iconic eating establishments. But first, a few notes. You've likely heard that DNA Info and Gothamist are no longer. Billionaire owner Joe Ricketts made the move last Thursday, saying in a letter posted where the site's homepages used to be that these essential local news operations were not profitable. But the timing is interesting. Both newsrooms finalized a decision to unionize two weeks ago, and leadership had long threatened that this move could lead to a shutdown. Ricketts, it should be pointed out, is a booster of Donald Trump and union-busting Wisconsin Governor Scott Walker. We'll be following this story closely. We'll have a couple of former staffers on the next show and other stakeholders in the days ahead, so stay tuned. Speaking of the importance of local journalism, last week we reminded you of Paul Manafort's Brooklyn Connection, that Trump's former campaign manager had bought and begun renovation on a brownstone in Carroll Gardens. This property at 377 Union was included in the special counsel's October 30th indictment as allegedly being linked to a Manafort money laundering scheme. But what we didn't share is that it was three Brooklyn bloggers who discovered and disclosed this information. Carroll Gardens resident Katia Kelly of Pardon Me For Asking first noticed the property and its connection to Manafort, and then publicly solicited help in interpreting the property records, which Brooklynites Matt Termine and Julian Russo did. They turned up evidence of shady transactions. Months later, the indictment. Citizen journalism at its best, and maybe finally something that will knock down property prices in Carroll Gardens. In the latest installment of That's Surprising, meaning it isn't, a recent report from Brooklyn's National Institute of Latino Policy, or NILP, says that hipsters are driving low-income Hispanics out of Brooklyn. That's how the Post reports it, but since they're not only hipsters, let's just call them a new wave of Brooklyn residents. While the Hispanic population increased citywide from 2015 to 2016, it actually dropped in this borough. NILP's president, Angelo Falcone, says increased property prices, a result of gentrification, have meant that once predominantly Latino neighborhoods like Sunset Park, Bushwick, and Williamsburg are no longer as hospitable. And according to a report by the city comptroller's office, Williamsburg and Greenpoint have seen their Latino populations decline by 16% in the past 15 years. Over the same period, they've also seen a 363% jump in the number of people making more than $75,000. We'll be right back with our pre-election coverage. Local elections are upon us, and if you decide to vote, you'll be helping elect a mayor, public advocate, and comptroller, as well as borough presidents. And many are running to become council members here in Brooklyn. Some of those are unopposed, so that makes it easy for us to predict who's going to win. Here to make some bolder predictions, or at least tell us about the key races in this borough, are Julianne Cuba, a political reporter for the Brooklyn Paper, and Kadia Goba, who's been covering the campaign for Kings County politics. Uh, perhaps the most, uh, the only swing district really in New York City is the 43rd district in Bay Ridge, and they have quite a humdinger of a council race going on. What does that look like? Right, so it's a highly contested race between a Democrat uh, and a, a Democrat, Justin Brannon, and a Republican, John Claglione. Both of them are staffers. I'm sorry, I shouldn't forget the reform candidate, Bob Capano. 
both of them are staffers. Um, it's been a they've been aggressively campaigning. It's going to be interesting. Um, Quaglione, you know, blames Justin for being aligned with the mayor, and likewise, Justin kind of, you know, associates Quaglione with the president. That's interesting. Are there any actual issues at play in the race? Do they have policy differences? Any of those quaint items? Uh, sure, sure. So there's um, there's illegal home conversions. That's a big okay. issue over there. Um, um, they that district has been particularly impacted by the opioid addiction, uh, opioid crisis also. Um, so there's some affordable housing issues that they don't want to deal with. And this is a swing district, right? This was Sal Albanese, there was Marty Gold, Golden, then yeah, it was Vincent Gentile. Yeah. Right, right, exactly. So now they have the incumbent is uh, um, Vincent Gentile. Right, so he's term limited. Term limited, and he's been there for 14 years. So, and Justin was a staffer of Gentile. Um, but coincidentally, uh, Quaglione was a staffer, or is a staffer, of. Uh, <laughs> of um, Senator's State, um, State Marty Senator Gold, Marty Golden. Right, right, who previously had that seat. Now, Julianne, we have a different kind of race going on in the 44th. Mm -hmm. um, well, I guess it's the same in that we're replacing a, a person who's not terminated, but a, a council member who is moving on. Mm -hmm. And that race has been rather uh, unfriendly, I guess is one yeah, thing people would say. Yeah, it's been pretty dirty, I guess you could say. Um, a lot of dirty politics, just criticizing each other's campaign. Um, Yoni, and the candidates are? Oh, um, Yoni Hyken, who's running on the Reform Party line, our neighborhood, who is Assemblyman Dove Hyken's son, and Cullman Yeager, um, who was handpicked by the outgoing councilman, David Greenfield. Um, and they've just been really playing dirty, um, kind of stemming back from David Greenfield and Dove Hyken decades, uh, maybe a decade ago. Nobody really knows where it originates, but it's coming out now. It's a feud between these two factions. Yeah. And, but what are they arguing about that the public is seeing? Do they have different ideas? Does one of them align with de Blasio, one not? What is the race about? No, I mean, they don't really, uh, Coleman's gotten, Jaeger's gotten a lot of support from um, the, I guess, the borough politics. Um, kind of Frank Stadio, yeah, the establishment right. candidates. Um, none of them, de Blasio has not come out and supported either. I think I read something today where, um, he doesn't want to step in between the, this feud ongoing in Borough Park. Um, but a lot of the issues on the table are like the yeshivas, um, education with the yeshivas, if they're um, adequately providing education. Um, traffic is a big one. Hmm. And um, yeah, those are probably the main issues. And uh, another district where de Bellagio's popularity probably isn't, isn't sky high, no. right? Right, right. Um, so those are two seats we've talked about where, uh, I guess we call them open seats, right? But there are a couple of incumbents who are, at least we think, in some form of trouble in Brooklyn. And one of them is Matthew Eugene in the 40th district. He faces an opponent, but not a Republican. What does that race look so like? So from the primary, there was an 11-point di um, difference between um, the incumbent, mm -hmm. Matthew Eugene, and Brian Cunningham. Um, recently, Cunningham got the endorsement of the Working Families Party. Um, the third person that came in from um, during the primaries, Pia Raymond. So, I guess the consensus is that her 22% might go towards this new candidate, this Brian Cunningham, which could possibly turn the race 
for an incumbent that's been in position for 10 years now. Right, it's almost like a runoff, right? I mean, they, they ran against each other in the first round, and now that two of them have, have come through. That's interesting. Uh, and we also have the race right here in the 35th mm -hmm. district where you have incumbent Laurie Combo. She also had a very tough primary. She run, but she's facing someone new now. Yeah, she's facing um, Democratic Socialist-backed candidate Jabari Brisport, who is running on the Green Party line. Um, I think it could be the first time a Green Party candidate's run in New York City. I'm not totally sure about that. Um, and he, like Edie Fox, who just lost in the primary, he's kind of made the Bedford Union Armory like the forefront of his campaign. He got He's gotten arrested twice in the past two weeks, I think, protesting outside the City Planning Commission, trying to fight this, uh, this proposal that seems to be moving forward. Interesting. So these are council races um, that are occurring on Election Day when many other races will be on the ballot, including races for mayor and both mayoral top mayoral candidates have a connection to brooklyn uh Mali Atakis represents part of brooklyn and bill de blasio obviously is from here is there excitement about the mayor's race out there um sure so in 43 there's uh like i said quagling on the lines of justin brannon with the um with the mayor so i think quagling's I, I think his position was to specifically um get the democratic vote away from um, some—to to secure some of the Democratic vote from— right, peel off some Democrats who yeah, are unhappy with the mayor. Who right. are unhappy with the mayor. Right. Um, they'll have a big showing because, um, you know, that's part of—Meliotakis has campaigned aggressively over there as well, so— right. How about you, Julianne? Are you hearing much about the mayor's race? Any general excitement about this election? Uh, I think in the districts where there are hotly contested council races, they've kind of like pulled in the, the more citywide issues. I mean, in Bay Ridge, which is conservative, I think there's more support for Maliotakis than there is for de Blasio right now. Um, but in the 44th, I don't think it's really that spoken. Interesting. And there are borough-wide races, right? Eric Adams has an opponent. and. Um, uh, the district attorney also has an opponent, uh, Vincent Gentile, actually, on a reform reform ballot. So Tish James. Tish James, right, the citywide races. She's also a Brooklynite, obviously, yes. but not much competition there. So on Wednesday morning, we're all going to be sitting at our desks talking about turnout and presumably how low it is. And the question is, you know, why is turnout low? Do you have any guesses as to if this turns out to be a low turnout election, why exactly that is? Well, specifically for the mayor, I feel like, especially after the debates, um, it, I mean, a lot of people, what I hear on the road is that a lot of people just think that the mayor's gonna slide. Yeah, it's gonna be a landslide, right. yeah. Is that that you're hearing as well? People are just sort of not enthused? Yeah, I think in more democratic liberal neighborhoods that's the case, whereas in more conservative neighborhoods they're coming out in full force to campaign against de Blasio. So what are your election day, election night plans? How are you gonna cover this, you know, festival of democracy that'll be playing out? Well, in 43 I'm definitely gonna have to be, because it's so close, I'm definitely gonna have to be at both campaign right. headquarters back and forth. between Cap, um, Quaglione and Brannon. Right, right. And what's your plan, Julianne? I think we're also covering the 43rd pretty pretty intensely, per, probably the 44th, too. Um, should be really interesting to right. see how the numbers come in. So now we come to the tough part where we have to pretend that we're going to see the future um, and make some prediction in these races. Not an endorsement mm -hmm. prediction. 43rd, who do you think has it? Uh, just because of between voter turnout and the... On, the, the number of Democrats versus Republicans, I'm going to say Brandon's going to take it. And in the 40th? 
Toss up, okay. <laughs> Julia, what do you think about in the Jaeger hike and race? How do you think that breaks down? I think just because of the establishment backing, Jaeger. Jaeger, okay. And in the 35th district, do you think Combo pulls it out again? Yeah. You do? Okay. Well, we'll have you back on at some point, I'm sure, to see if those predictions uh, turn out properly. But good luck with your election day assignments. Thank you. And thanks so much for coming on. But voters, your work won't be done even after you select your candidates. More on that next. Now, when you go to vote, you're going to want to look at both sides of that ballot. The candidates for every office in the city are on one side, but on the back are three ballot questions where voters have a chance to make key decisions about policy for the whole state. Here to walk us through these choices is a Brooklyn journalist, author, academic, and uber-engaged citizen, Ted Ham. Ted. Thanks for coming on. Very good to have you here. I think I use a lift. <laughs> so the, the, the wording we'll see in the ballot tomorrow apparently is, shall there be a convention to revise the Constitution and amend the same? What does that mean, Ted? Well, every 20 years, New Yorkers have the option to vote to ha uh, host a, hold a convention, in which at the convention there would be decided sev any number of new amendments uh, Initiatives that would become amendments uh, that have to go through many stages of, of uh, in the process before reaching that point. But the first step would be to hold this convention. Delegates would come together, hash out various proposals, and then take those to the voters. So right. it's, a, it's a long road. This is just the first. This would be the first step, saying we we want to host a convention. And so this would amend the state constitution. And that has not well, actually... it would set the stage for potential amendments, potential amendments, amendments to the Constitution. Which hasn't actually, I mean, I know it, it, can, it can occur every 20 years, but it hasn't for some time, right? right? for since the 60s, 67. Right, exactly. Yeah. So this sounds like a fairly dry procedural discussion, but it has been anything but that, or it's been fairly uh, hard-fought and, and well-contested. So sure, far. well, the unions have uh, put a lot of money behind the No campaign. Why is that? They're uh, raising the specter of potential cutbacks in pensions and uh, other uh, hard-fought collective bargaining rights that they've secured. Um, so they have, you know, they're, they're, they're raising red flags, but it's, the question is, you know, is, is this stuff really on the table? Um, so the, the people who are in favor of the convention are saying, you know, this, all of this needs to be worked out. This is just the first um, initial step. And then at the convention itself, then, there would be a lot of horse trading, give and take, uh, and so on. So, the, but the unions are cutting, are, are, are waging a loud campaign and seemingly um, going to prevail, as, if, if we believe the polls. Right, right. So unions are against it, and obviously some of the folks for it are like good government groups and, and that sort of thing. And who is for it? And what is the argument for voting yes? Well, I think you get good government groups like uh, Effective New York Citizens Union. Um, reform-minded uh, legis legislators like Liz Kruger, state senator from Manhattan. She wrote a, a, a strong piece in the Daily News the other day. Uh, the, the argument is basically all these things that we've talked about for years now, the campaign finance reform, uh, voter reform. Mm -hmm. New York is obviously one of the, 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 the most backward states in the nation in terms of our access to the ballot, uh, and so on. So. Uh, how is that going to happen without this convention? And people who are saying we don't want the convention, which includes the New York Times, which is uh, typically the editorial board of the New York Times is on the side of the good government groups, but right. in this case it's, it's not. 
they're saying, well, those things can be hashed out through the legislature. And, you know, so it's, it's a kind of a, uh, a morass that, you know, hard to see, hard to figure out how that's actually going to happen through the legislature. For example, campaign finance reform. I mean, that's, uh, you're, gonna, you're asking these legislators to uh, push through reform that would potentially undermine their own fundraising. Uh, Cuomo, just for example, in the last uh, year, has, he's maxed out with $65,000, several $65,000 donations. You know, is he really going to—he's he's been sort of on the fence or trying to—not putting any—not uh, weighing in very forcefully on this right. issue, but Hasty uh, and Flanagan uh, from the Assembly and State Senate, so two of the three men in the room are uh, at, uh, vocally denouncing this, this proposition. And that's interesting, right? This thing has created, like, all these strange bedfellows. You had Nicole Maliotakis and Bill de Blasio agreeing at the debate that they both were opposed to it. Um, you have the, the NYCLU and, and unions sure. together on it. Why do you think that is? Why is there this sort of almost non-ideological reaction to this prospect? Well, it's a scary um, time. It's the scary times we live in. We saw the election of Trump, all the money that uh, the, the Mercers uh, put into Trump's campaign, uh, the Koch brothers, and what they can do. Um, and so, the, you know, people are raising that, these, these these fears that this is what would happen at a convention: is that they would begin to undermine worker protections, pensions, uh, on down the line. So. Um, you know, that's uh, it's something that's certainly to consider. The voters should, should consider. But then the other uh, con the thing that I would suggest is that, you know, how are we ever going to get there without, without this convention? If you trust Albany to actually reform itself, then, you know. Right, after waiting some time. <laughs> so this is question one, and that obviously has garnered most of the media attention and millions of dollars in spending. There are two other questions on the ballot tomorrow. Question two is about pensions for, speaking of Albany and some of the problems there, whether judges can deny pensions or withdraw pensions for people who are convicted of a corruption charge. In public corruption cases, yes. So right. these are actually both proposal two and proposal three, which we'll talk about in a second. They were pushed through the legislature and now are being sent to the voters to, as amendments to the state constitution. So this, right. there are examples of what potentially could occur uh, in, the, in lieu of a, a constitutional convention. Right, right. This is the other path they can take. But so the pension issue is is what exactly? Well, the, in public corruption cases like uh, Sheldon Silver's, uh, Dean Skelos and his son, and so on, that they would lose legislators would lose their pensions if convicted of a, um, a major corruption, you know, a felony corruption case. Mm -hmm. So. Um, you know, that's something that the good government people certainly would endorse. And I think, and Liz Kruger, for example, pointed to that one as an example of uh, a necessary reform that has been achieved in, in Albany. Um, so this is just sending it out to the voters to say yes. And I, and I, and I think it's overwhelmingly uh, going to pass. Right. And even, that could be said even more strongly for question three, which is the, <laughs> the sort of, you know. Forest, it doesn't, forest. doesn't apply to the city. It doesn't. doesn't, it doesn't, doesn't but, much. you know, well, right. it's, Albany <laughs> often gets to weigh in on our stuff right. down here, so now we get to weigh in on upstate. But what's, it, what's that one about? It's uh, to allow um, communities surrounding um, the Adirondacks primarily uh, forest preserves. Um, the, to, the flexibility in terms of how they um, 
build roads and bike paths and so on in those right. forest because reserves. Now, there's some set-asides and right. so on. The forest the, is sacrosanct. Yeah, this is allowing them to move little bits of it to make a road if they have to or right. that sort of thing. Right. Right. It has the endorsement of all the upstate environmental groups, so it's almost certainly going to pass. Yes, and, it's, and uh, the New York Times, for example, is not endorsing the Constitutional Convention, but it's strongly endorsing Proposition 2 and 3. Right. But, you know, they're, they're on the right side of all, th <laughs> all three things <laughs> in terms of the, the, what the, the vote is likely to, how it's likely to pan out. So. And I'm sorry, so do you think a question one is going to end up as a no vote? Is that your gut feeling? Well, that's what the polls show, and that seems seemingly trending in that direction. And one thing that may illustrate it is the, the declining power of the editorial boards and these good government groups. I mean, mo aside from the New York Times, almost every editorial board is in favor of a constitutional convention, Newsday, uh, Daily News, uh, Times Union of Albany, and so on. So, you know, that, but people are, are people going to listen to that, or are they listening to the campaign that's being waged in the media and the, the lawn signs and so on, no one won, so mm -hmm. that's where the money's gone. So that's on the back of the ballot. Let's talk front of the ballot for a little bit. Any races uh, on, on the election that you are paying attention to that you think might be interesting? Well, the one locally here in Fort Greene, you know, Jabari Brisport running a spirited campaign as a Green against the incumbent Lori Cumbo. Um, you know, it's just a question of how much she can really make a, an impact at the ballot box. It's, you know, if he gets to 20%, I think that would be um, notable. I think if he gets higher than that, that would be quite impressive. So you're getting a lot of media attention, so that, you know, maybe he's setting the stage for a future career. One race that has gotten almost no attention is the race for city comptroller. The Republican in that race, Michael Faulkner, has talked about how he feels he is a Frederick Douglass Republican. Now, you are the editor of a book <laughs> called Frederick Douglass in Brooklyn. What do you think wow. that means? Uh, and do you think Michael Faulkner is a Frederick Douglass Republican? Well, uh, that's a curveball there, Jarrett. Uh, <laughs> His argument being that Douglas opposed was against, you know, um, over an overweening government that he believed well, that's in individual a rights. Okay. Right. Well, there, there's a there's a libertarian Frederick Douglass that um, that conservative, more libertarian-oriented people hold up and champion from. Um, but you know, it's a different time period, so it's really you know, in terms of uh, a, a comptroller like Scott Scott, Str Scott Stringer, who's generally um, sympathetic to most of the same progressive social justice causes as de Blasio and Tish James, for example, um, you know, it's hard to say that uh, uh, Frederick Douglass, were, he's alive and well, according to Trump, of course, but uh, it's <laughs> hard to say that he would be, like, rallying to uh, Michael Faulkner's defense as a budget, uh, a fiscal conservative at this point, so. Well, Ted Ham, thank you so much for being our tour guide for democracy, walking us through those ballot questions. We'll be looking to see what the results are. And when we come back, the marathon is over, but your race is just about to begin. So Sunday, some 50,000 people attempted the incredible feat of running the New York City Marathon, 26.2 miles through all five boroughs. Hopefully, if you caught even just a glimpse of the event in person or on TV, you found it a little inspiring. Perhaps you're even thinking about getting out there to run yourself, not 26 miles, but like two or three, as a way to get in better shape and get connected to New York City's community of athletes. The organization We Run Brownsville embodies that spirit, and so we're very pleased to have with us today as co-founders Sheila Gordon, and Dion Graham for some jogger to jogger, or jogger to very slow jogger advice <laughs> on how to get started running the streets of Kings County. Thanks both very much for coming. Uh, tell us about We Run Brownsville, Dion. What is it all about? So we started as a way to implement some um, innovative and creative ways for women in our community to be healthy. 
and um, we contacted a local health organization to do some outreach, put up a flyer, and just have women come out to our local park where there's a track and um, trust us to teach them how to run. And Sheila, are most of the members of the group, people who've come to these events, folks who've never run before, people who used to run, what's the demographic? I think for us, it's mostly women who have never run before. And it's as simple as getting started, taking those first steps, and then realizing that people are now calling you a runner. It's, 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 it's literally that easy to do. Is that your story? How did you come to become a runner? So for me, I always loved to run. Even as a young kid, I think my mom put me out there to run because I was a little hyper, a little <laughs> energetic. So part of her getting me out there was to have me run with local track clubs and all that kind of stuff. So for me, running was always a part of of my life. But then you get older, things get in the way, and you don't do it as much. And then I, I went back working for a company that runs and got back into it, and it's been a marvelous experience. So I just wanted to share that with other women. Dion, how, how about you? How did you come to running? So reluctantly. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds very familiar. Yeah. Um, after I had my daughter, my third child, um, I had, I think I held on to my postpartum weight for about seven years <laughs> and realized that I needed to do something a little differently than I had been doing. Um, and it just coincided when Sheila started running and she would tell me about the miles that she had done and um, I was like, oh, okay. So like we're best friends, but there's always like a little bit of competition. <laughs> and so I was like, oh, okay. So well, if she can do it, um, so I can do it. So I did it slowly, not certainly, certainly, not as fast or as long as she did, but um, week by week, I saw my miles go up, and I felt better, I looked better. Mm -hmm. um, my mental state was better, like on a day-to-day -day when I've had, like on a day like today when I've had a trying day at work, the first thing I think about, um, you know, the second thing I think about is going mm -hmm. to run, and the first thing is running past the store that sells a bottle of good red wine. <laughs> <laughs> so let's say a person's out there watching this who has not run in a long time or has never run. Mm -hmm. What's some simple runner-runner advice? How do you get started? I think the first thing is to say you're gonna get started. The first thing is saying, okay, I'm gonna go out. And even if you say, so today, even if you just walk, if you go out and you start to walk, the next day, you add a little jog to it. And then the next day, and you'll, you will slowly see that those small things will add up, and the next thing you know, you'll be running again. I always say a good pair of sneakers is the right thing to do, because you don't want your feet hurting, and that deters people. If I'm out running and my feet are hurting, I think having the right pair of shoes is important. How about a place? Do you have a favorite place to run in the neighborhood or in Brooklyn at large? Um, Prospect Park is my yeah. favorite place to run because yeah. it's just, it's like you're not in Brooklyn, yeah. right? You're running through an actual forest. Mm -hmm. And so <laughs> um, it's easy to get lost in the beauty of, of the park while you're trying to ignore maybe any like muscle aches mm -hmm. um, but I think yeah it's 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 a place that lends itself to peace mm -hmm. and so Prospect Park of course I love to run at home um, but Prospect Park, but Prospect is, Park is just side. that makes a lot of sense yeah. so Dion mm -hmm. and Sheila thank you so yes. much for coming on thank to thank talk you. about over in Brownsville good luck with your next run oh thank you very much and when we come back cheesecake anyone this is why I love TV
While you were gone, cheesecake miraculously appeared on the table. Junior says it is home to the world's most fabulous cheesecake. It's certainly Brooklyn's most famous. And on Tuesday, it's on sale to celebrate the 67th anniversary of this iconic diner located at Flatbush and DeKalb. That's a long time, and I'm too hungry to think of any other establishment that's been around so long. So here to tell us about the event and the promotion and hopefully offer me and others a slice of this deliciousness is owner Alan Rosen. Alan, thanks for joining us here at 112VK. Tell us about this promotion. Uh, well, tomorrow's our 67th birthday, so if you come to any of our restaurants tomorrow in Brooklyn or the ones in Manhattan or in Boca Raton, Florida, you get a 67-cent slice of New York-style cheesecake with your lunch or dinner entree. If you don't want to sit and eat with us, you can buy a regular size plain cheesecake for $9.50, a play on 1950 when we were born, or you can get a large plain cheesecake like that one right there for $19.50. Um, but it's just really amazing that after 67 years, we're still on the same corner in Brooklyn, New York. It is amazing. Why, why do you think it is? What's the secret? Well, I think the secret is the family involvement in the business. My, my grandfather, my father, my uncle, myself, I mean, we're still there pretty much every day. and that consistency or that continuity is sort of what carried this business through ups and downs and sideways and changes in demographics and we're just always in the place. Right, and as Brooklyn changes, you guys are the authentic thing that remains, right? It's, yeah, it's pretty nice that as Brooklyn changes, we're still widely accepted as, you know, the real deal. Um, I heard something about maybe you guys moving, or is that Well, years ago, the building was for sale, and we were offered a ton of money, quite frankly, to leave, but they didn't want us back, and that wasn't in, in our plans. We always want our base to be in downtown Brooklyn at that location where my grandfather started in the 20s, believe it or not. So we don't have much time, so we should probably sample some of this stuff. You, you can sample uh, it. I eat it every one. day. You can go for strawberry. This is strawberry, yeah. Um, right. You know, cheesecake is, is an art. Cream cheese, fresh egg, sugar, heavy cream, touch of vanilla. How you blend it and how you put it together is the real art. Is it true that it builds lean muscle mass? Is that totally it, that true? That is totally a lie. I don't know who oh, told you bad. that. No, it doesn't build lean muscle mass, but okay. there is protein in cream cheese. Um, but you know what? If you're going to have dessert, it might as well be sweet and good and delicious because it's the same calories as bad dessert. It might as well. And so, obviously, the implication is that next year it will be 68 cents. So Correct. You, you know, every, now, right? every year, yes, that'll be quite the inflation from 67 to 68 cents. So, yes, we should probably make our move for cheesecake. And um, which of these is your favorite flavor? I, I don't have favorites. I like all my children the same. But if you've never had our cheesecake before, you should start with the traditional New York style. And then we have cheesecakes in the store. I didn't bring all of them, but like carrot cake cheesecake, where you have a plain cheesecake inside of a carrot cake, or devil's food cheesecake, plain cheesecake inside of a chocolate layer cake. So you can get as creative as you want to get. Well, Alan Rosen, thank you for talking more about cheesecake than I ever have before, but I'm very <laughs> glad I did. Glad I could help. And thank you, everybody, for joining us today. Hope to see you again soon. Tomorrow, Ashley will be back with former DNA Info and Gothamist reporters, the host of Viceland's Weedicat, and a local dance studio in New Digs. Goodbye, and please remember to vote. 112BK is hosted by Ashley Cole, produced by Ross Tuttle, Fred Brown, Shereen Bargy, Emily Bogosian, and Fritzy Roberts. Edited by Clinton Filson Jr. and Kyrell Palmer. Our audio engineer is Eric Haugesegg. Executive producers are Aziz Aisham, Jonathan Leaf, and Sasha Mathias.